Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Show. Coming up, following his sudden departure as Guernsey men's manager, we'll be joined by Chris Tardiff to find out just why he decided his position had become untenable. We'll also hear all about a plan to turn what has been the indoor sports centre into an indoor football centre. An exciting project underway there. Plus, of course, we'll round up all the latest from the Premier League and look back on another tough day for Guernsey FC. I'm Tony Kerr and alongside me, as ever, is Rob Batiste. Hi, Tony. Rob, great to see you. Plenty to pack in this week. Um, let's start with the weekend action, shall we? There was a big win for Sylvan, 6-1 over Manza at the KG5. Uh, Rangers picked up just their fourth point of the campaign at one all it finished with Velrec at St Andrews, uh, while we had an unusual postponement at Portsmouth, Rob. Yeah, very, very strange happenings at Portsmouth, where I gather a um, strong reason why the, the match was called off at the very, very last minute was the fact that flying sand <laughs> was getting in everybody's eyes. Jeff Ozier did a pitch inspection um, down there, and uh, apart from the fact that the ball, every time he kicked it in the air, was blown miles away. Probably disappeared um, into the sea. Yeah, yeah, it was heading fast towards Kobo Post Office, apparently. Um, anyway, the biggest problem was the fact that people were just standing there and and being stung in their eyes by this this sand being driven off the dunes across the across the top of the bay, which is a first. Yeah, I can't say I've ever heard of a, a football match being called off against you because of a sandstorm. I knew it was bad when Paul Porter, our good old friend at Rovers, texted me about an hour beforehand and he said... I will concede today that it is windy at Portsmouth because <laughs> Paul has been an ongoing groan with me over the years that I, uh, I'm forever talking about the wind at Portsmouth. But he did concede it was windy on this occasion. And I'm sure all 22 players were mightily relieved, to be honest, that the game was called off because it would have been not pleasant playing in that wind down there. Yeah, valid to talk about the wind um, at Portsmouth. And uh, yeah, as for being blown away, uh, man's are blown away by Sylvans. Big win for them. Yeah, they were in the end in terms of the scoreline from what I can gather. I mean, they were in the game until very late on. And, of course, the last five minutes, everything caved in for Manza, who were plugging away, um, you know, plugging away and with very limited resources. But they'll keep going. I'm pretty I'm sure that they'll continue to the end of the season. And um, I think they're very keen not to, to pick up the, the wooden spoon, which I suspect will probably end up in between them and Rangers. Um, perhaps Alderney, but I've got a feeling Alderney will pick up a few wins at, on ho- at home ground up Mount Ale. Um, no, it's, um, it's a good point for Rangers as well on Saturday. Um, we'll cheered Colin Fallows no end. Um, first point, I believe, since they he took over there. Although I gather he wasn't present, he was he was isolating at home. That's, that's probably a lot of people were. It seems half the island is. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, well, congratulations to Rangers on that point. Um, it's pretty much as you were at the top, isn't it? Obviously, with St Martins not in action, um, Rovers, as we say, seeing their game uh, postponed and uh, North as well not playing this weekend. Um, they've got a game to make up against Alderney. Uh, they've also got a game uh, against Bells at the track, uh, which has got its new stand uh, back in play. Yeah, apparently it's all functional. I think there's a few little jobs to be done, but in fact, for the, for the fact is you can go down there tomorrow night and be protected from the elements. Just in time. Um, and then we've got uh, four matches at the weekend. Manza host Alderney, uh, North in action again against Velrec. Uh, it's Rovers against Rangers and Sylvans against St Martin. So Sylvans, I'm sure, will be buoyant off the back of that good result against yeah, that Manza. That should be a good game, St Peter's. 
So plenty to look forward to next weekend. Um, let's move on to GFC, then a third defeat on the bounce for them against another of the league's leading sides. Chertsey Town this time, uh, who took a 1-0 win away from Foots Lane. Uh, their club account tweeting afterwards, Channel Islands completed it, mate. Um, <laughs> having also won in Jersey, of course, in the FA Cup already this season. Uh, Rob, as I say, another tough test and another defeat by the odd goal um, in the end. Um, they're competing, aren't they, with these top teams, but I guess it doesn't change the result. No, uh, it's a very disappointing final scoreline. You know, there was very little between the two teams. GFC handled it very well. Um, the conditions, particularly in the first half, we, you know, playing into the wind. They played some nice football, keeping it on the ground. Good approach play. Were a threat on occasion. And you thought, nil-nil half-time. There's a real hope for, for them in the second half, having the gale behind them. But to be honest, they were pretty hopeless second half in terms of creating things. Um, they couldn't get Ross Allen or Charles Chotton Govan on the ball much at all. And I so said they only had one shot on goal, one shot on target in the second half. And um, Chertsey got stronger as the game went, went on. But even then, you know, Jordan Kelly, who was brought in at the last minute and had had a pretty solid game, so well done to him, um, didn't have too much to do. Unfortunately, he was picking the ball out of the net after a, a pretty bad mistake, which was one of those things near the halfway. And Brian Taylor, the um, Chertsey winger, was away and confidently put the ball away for the winner. And they're back in action again uh, tomorrow night on the road at Marlow. Another tough test for the Green Lions. Yeah, but the good news is that we're taking a very strong squad. You know, pretty much our strongest available squad. All Carl Smith's back. Frank Tobin's back. Jamie Dodd is available again, so um, let's hope that we can do something tomorrow night at beautiful Marlow, which is just along the road from Bisham Abbey, I seem to remember, all the years ago when I went along to see Matt Letitia make his England debut and training the day before was at Bisham Abbey, and um, before the press conference I remember just popping along to Marlow, walking along the road about half a mile, beautiful little town close to the, um, the Thames, and... Um, yeah, and wandering back and seeing through the seeing through the fence the England ta- England team training in front of my eyes, which I always remember that very well. And a word on the referee on Saturday because uh, yeah, there was something of a, an SOS answered. Yeah, apparently, well, the um, English officials were stuck at Gatwick, like a lot of people just couldn't get here. You know, obviously there was a lot of flight disruption both ways on, at the weekend. Um, so. For the game to happen, um, because Chertsey had got it flown in the night before, the only way to do it was to um, have some Guernsey officials in place and Chertsey agreed to that. And um, so we saw Derek Gilman take the whistle and we had Tony Sarr and Luke Patamore on the lines for the 90 minutes. And Derek, to be fair to him, Derek did okay, did okay. Uh, I think there were a few incidents which were... um, Towards the end, you wonder whether it might, you know, things might get out of hand. But no, I think Derek, who's quite fit, one of our more able referees in terms of getting around the park, did a decent job. So well done to him. I'm sure he'll remember it, and I'm sure he may well have learned a few new words as the <laughs> um, as the match went went along. Oh, well, I'm glad it went off without too much of a bang then uh, in that sense. So, uh, yeah, I guess a good experience for them, and that's yeah, the one you usually get. Yeah, I'd, that's right. I mean. Um, the referees tend to get a lot of stick down at Foots Lane from the home crowd. Often it's unfair. Did the crowd know it was one of our own? I don't think they... I think the majority of the 
Futslane, diminished Futslane crowd on Saturday were totally unaware that it was um, a Guernsey man in the, in the, in the middle. Um, if they had known, perhaps they'd have given him more stick. <laughs> <laughs> but they were certainly, um, they certainly were raising their voices a few times near the end. But um, no, Derek was fine. Ah, good stuff. And um, as we say, Gypsy away uh, on Tuesday night and away again next weekend as well. So um, a busy week for them. Let's hope the wind has died down slightly. Um, let's leave it there then for part one. Coming up next, we'll be talking to Chris Tardiff. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Football Show. If you're enjoying these podcasts, do quickly hit that five-star rating in your podcast app. And if you haven't already, definitely hit follow or subscribe to get every episode delivered straight to you. Uh, We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the other major platforms, so get involved. Uh, Now, if, and I'm sure we all hope it will, the Marathi competition returns this season, there will be a new manager leading Guernsey's men. Uh, Chris Tardiff had been the island manager for a little over four years before tendering his resignation over the weekend, uh, describing his position as untenable. Uh, And he joins Rob and I now to talk us through the situation and that resignation. Chris, thanks very much for coming in. No problem. Nice to see you, albeit in, I guess, slightly disappointing circumstances. Um, yeah, just just give us uh, an overview of, of your thinking then. Yeah, I suppose it's um, it may come across as a, a pretty instant thing, but it's been something that's been playing in the back of my mind for quite a few months now. Um, obviously, the enforced COVID break has given me time to sit back and really review of what what my situation was, how it was working, what I could do to change it, um, what would be the best for me, best for the association and the players. And it, and it made me sort of sit back and realise um, what I enjoyed the most, which was the Innismon, the sort of island game scenario, um, how much of uh, the point of the Marathi manager being a thankless task. I always knew that, to be perfectly frank, before I took the job. Um, but I wanted to test myself in that situation. But it wasn't really until I got deeply involved in it, I understood just how difficult it would be to change anything in, in that scenario. Um, and it almost felt you're a custodian of, of a team, of someone else's team for a day. Um, really difficult to get any time with the players to coach them. Really difficult and pretty pointless in my view to try and change the way they play from what they do all season. Um, and let's be frank, the majority of the players will always be GFC. Um, with the with the p- possibility of one or two extras going in there, I already had a couple of players in mind for this season that play outside of GFC to, to join in that squad and potentially even force their way into a starting position. Um, but it it was almost a thankless task. And, that, and then with... Um, the charges that came through from the GFLM over over the summer, uh, all of which were were obviously dropped, but that gave me a, a bit more time to think about everything. Uh, it just it just felt like I didn't have the full support or the full trust of uh, of the board. Um, what was a thankless task just became that little bit harder. Um, so I thought, for the benefit of me, and actually for the benefit of local football as a whole, which was always been my at the forefront of my mind and everything I've done is it was worth me stepping away and maybe giving the board a chance to review of how it's done in the future. Uh, and it just doesn't feel right for me to be in that position right now. Yeah, and as you say, the COVID break, I guess, has given you a lot of time to think about the situation that the, the Guernsey representative manager faces. But you mentioned those charges there. Had that whole episode not happened, do you think you'd still be the Guernsey manager or, 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 or you know... 
are the challenges of that role enough that you might have walked away anyway? If I, I've got a huge desire to still succeed, and that, that's what took me so long to decide to step away, um, despite um, those charges, despite everything else. I'm a passionate Guernsey person and a passionate football person, and I really I hate leaving something unfinished, and that's how I feel. I feel like I've got a lot more to give at that level, but it, it sort of made me realise, yes, it's nice to have sort of your name associated with that, and, but actually, what is that role at the moment? And that role is very limited. Can't do everything you want to do in that role. And to me, um, yes, there was naivety in terms of what happened over the summer. Absolutely, 100%. Um, but I was trying to do what I felt was right for Guernsey football as a whole. Um, but so from the, on the back of that, was the role what I really wanted it to be? Probably not. Uh, and as I said at the start, it made me realise the parts of the football I really enjoyed. And it was, and it's easy for me to keep going back to the Innes Mon scenario, but to have a group of players that I can mould and shape into how I think they should play. Um, and, and let's be frank, that, that group of players that came to Innes Mon, you wouldn't put as your starting Marathi 11. Um, but how enjoyable that week, or to be honest, those few months were of coaching those boys that were desperate to be involved in, in the island setup, which... Uh, like it or not, I think the Marathi has sort of lost a bit of that appeal for some players. Um, but, yeah, it was a great time to be involved with those group of players, to mould them how I wanted to have my team set out, um, work with those players, see those individuals actually improve within that small period of time, uh, and to get to get a great result. I still think we could have gone on and won the tournament. We should have won it, really, in the final. We had opportunities to win it. Um, and that would have been amazing. And then sort of my my whole sort of scenario on the back of that as well is what support did we really get on that trip? Not a huge amount, if I'm honest. Um, and I've, I made You that, mean from the GFA? Yeah, and I made that quite evident and when we came back and had the discussion. I had a really open and frank discussion with, um, with Gary on the board and said it did disappoint me turning up to the manager's meeting and uh, you see other... Um, other islands having one, two, three representatives, and we had none. Uh, and I get the point of, well, they have other jobs and they um, they'd have to have time off and pay. Well, exactly what all the coaching staff and all the players did themselves. Uh, that I won't lie, that really frustrated me, and that sort of sat quite deep in my thoughts going forward. Um, does that mean I should have left? Probably. The whole scenario of these charges over the summer sort of put the final nail in the coffin, if you like, rather than making me change my mind. I, would I love to still be in charge if everything was rosy in the garden? Absolutely. I, I, I love the position in terms of if I could do it the way I wanted to do it. Um, I, want, I, want, I want to manage, um, and I still think management and coaching are slightly two different roles although I enjoy doing more of the coaching over the last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, would, would I still like to be involved in football at the top level? 100%. Do you think um, anybody's got a chance of running the, the Marathi team and the representative team in the modern day? It depends on the personality you are, I guess, and what you're looking from it. 
Um, if you just want to be the the face of something, and if it works great, if it doesn't, then if you've got broad enough shoulders, because it comes with with that side of it. If you've got broad enough shoulders, yeah, great. Um, I'd imagine there's quite a few people that would quite happily just put their face to it. But the more I did it, the more I realised actually there's not a lot I can do um, with that team in that short period of time. Um, you can tweak things here and there, but if things don't quite go right on the day, they will definitely go back to the way they've been playing all season. Now, that might be the right way to play that Marathi, or it might be the wrong way to play that Marathi, but I can't change that deep-rooted sort of way of playing within two weeks of training sessions. So what would you do now, Chris, if it was your... If you were running the GFA, what would you do to, to get the best out of the Marathi team? Uh, for the one game, I, I would honestly keep someone who is involved in GFC in charge because um, it is one game. Um, I, think, I think it's almost a point where you could split what you do for Ireland Games and the Marathi. Um, I would give it to whoever's in charge at GFC at that time to, to take it because it is his team his uh, and be that Tony be that whoever I'm not saying Tony specifically I'm saying whoever's involved at that point in time I, I agree with you on the, the there should be a split between the Ireland Games and the Marathi roles because quite clearly within Ireland Games every two years there is the, the timing of it I mean, there is actually a chance to actually have a week, two weeks, three weeks, perhaps even longer, to actually work with the group and get your and get a real bond together with that team and get your thoughts over, isn't there? Yeah, I, and it's actually a completely different skill set uh, as a manager um, in terms of you can pick a team for the Marathi and you hope that things go well and you can change things on a day, but you can't do too much. Whereas the Ireland Games is a completely different scenario in terms of you don't just put what you class your best 11 out every single game. You have to think on a, on a bigger basis. You have to rotate your squad. So it does become more like taking a, a team for the season, but in a condensed period, whereas Marathi is a one-off cup final. So they're, they're, they are different jobs, um, in essence, just because of the way it is. That's, that's the way football is at the moment. And I don't think anyone's going to change that directly at the moment. I tend to agree. Um... Do we have any chance of seeing you think running a Prio League team in the future? Do you know what? Hats off to those who do. Completely hats off. Um, understanding how much time and effort even doing an Ireland Games takes to do that for a whole season, um, that's a huge commitment. Um, am I ready for that huge commitment right now? I don't know. Um, I'm not really thinking that far ahead. Home life, family life, working life are so hectic as it is. Do I, do I have the time to give 100%? Because that's what I would do. Um, possibly not right now. But like I've always said, football changes extremely quickly and who knows what the future holds. Um, what do I do there? What would I take on? Would I take on um, sort of one of the top clubs? Would I take on one of the bottom clubs and see, test myself? Who knows what, what happens in the future? Would I still love to be involved in an Ireland Games of some point, somehow? Absolutely. But does that? But my my standing down from that role obviously means I won't be involved in the Guernsey one, and I fully get that. And I think that was the hardest part of the decision of not being involved in that Games. 
Are you um, really f- annoyed and a bit bitter towards the GFA about the whole the way they've handled all this last few months? No, I, I, look, I think it's quite clear and evident that the GFA are extremely good at the governance and compliance. 100%. I think, I think what they do behind the scenes, and I know they get a lot of stick for it, it's a thankless task for them too, uh, but I do think they're very, very good at what they do on that side. Um, publicly, is there, is there more they can be doing? Absolutely, I think there is, and I've told the board that myself. But um, am I annoyed with them? No, not really. I think they've done their job in, in part of it. Um, I've, I think there could have been communication between GFLM, GFA and myself before it got to this point and I think there was a lot of lessons learned in terms of one for myself but two from the GFLM and the GFA of how to handle these sorts of scenarios um, would I sit down around the table right at the beginning helped of course it would have uh, conversation is always a good thing um, and I, I guess that's part of what I felt was lacking from my side in terms of conversations yes partly my fault for not pursuing that and making sure more conversations were had with the board at different points um, and apart from their side. You mentioned Island Games obviously before. Um, can you see a time when you throw your hat in the ring to, to lead a, a Guernsey team into a Marathi again? Uh, never say never. <laughs> Look, I, I, I keep saying it. I'm, I'm really proud of this island and really proud of being involved in football. Would, would that be a case? Yeah, is that going to happen any day soon? Absolutely not. I've, I've handed in my resignation, so um, why would they want to re-employ me? Um, but who knows what happens in the future? I'm, I'm right at the infancy of my coaching career. Um, don't forget, I've really only done it for a couple of years. Um, all right, I've been in the position for four years, but I've only had anything for t- to do for two years. And this is my first coaching role. So there may be other ways back to that point. I don't know. One final thing, Chris, before I let you go. Do you think um, your jersey opposite number, Martin Cassidy, <laughs> and the jersey balls are going to He's suffer? happy. Are he's just gonna... told me he's happy that I've oh, retired oh, or resigned, should I are say. Are they going to suffer the same sort of issue, do you think, in time, which will help Guernsey? Potentially. Yeah, absolutely, potentially. Um, people may or, not, may or may not know or like this, but I, I did speak to Cass quite regularly because um, we were both obviously in the same position. So we've had good lines of communication since I took the, took the role on. Um, do I see it going a similar way? Yeah, probably I do. It depends. It depends how strong the board are for him uh, in terms of making sure um, he's supported in his role and what he's doing and giving enough time to do what he wants to do. It's, it's tough for him as well as, as it was for me, for sure. Well, thanks very much, Chris. Uh, you're going to be doing some coaching there for your kids' team. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Which so, team is it? So he's uh, Saints under-14s. Oh, so um, I started helping out Darren Lattis and um, Darren James um, last year and Sam. So um, I've continued to do that. I do more and more of it. Absolutely love it. Um, you enjoy Saints, eh? You've well, I, I was always a Val Rec boy yeah. until I left. And then I came back to Saints in particular just because of foul. Um, I wanted to do uh, and compete in the Prio League, but I wanted to keep my standards as high as when I was a professional. And I knew Fowl would be like that and Fowl would coach us that way. Uh, and yes, we had a great team and I got to 
obviously uh, represent Saints and the Ireland in all the major tournaments because of that. Did really well in that year. Um, yeah, so I, I do. I, I took my son to Saints in truth because one, I had that little bit of a really good year there and it's a way of saying thank you to them. But also, um, he was young, he was at school and I quite liked him having to have a different group of schoolmates because that's not where we lived or where he went to school. So I quite... I quite like that of using sport of how to learn to um, to mix with other people from all different walks of life, if you like. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, yeah, all the best with that. And uh, thank you very much. Thanks for coming in. We'll see you soon, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, lots more, uh, lots more to be written in the Tardif coaching story. I'm sure. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Chris Tardif speaking to me and Rob there. Um, yeah, Rob, sad to see in a way someone with so much football experience um, walking away from a role which should be one of the marquee roles in, in Guernsey sport. Um, but obviously, uh, Chris has his reasons. I mean, what, what do you make of what he said in terms of the way that role operates and, and the sort of person um, uh, that, that you know, might want to fulfil it in the future? Well, I fully understand his, um, his frustrations in terms of a man with um, a lot of pride in his own performance and obviously a lot of um, expertise in, from, from a long career playing professionally in the UK and also as a GSE goalkeeper and Marathi goalkeeper. Chris certainly knows what it's all about. But unfortunately, during his short tenure, tenure as um, manager, you know, he hasn't had much opportunity to get his um, point over, really. You know, he brought in John Nobes, Matt Warren, Kevin Gilligan as helping with the coaching. You know, three very able and experienced footballers and you know what it's all about. But the the fact is, you know, the, the Ireland's top footballers are nearly all playing for GFC and the GFC schedule is packed. And of course, uh, on top of that, we've also have a domestic schedule which the last couple of years has run on very late. Um, which would, you know, makes things even worse in terms of actual preparation. But no, I think this is probably the end of um, the experiment, if you could call it an experiment, to have a non-Guernsey FC person um, running the um, the island representative side. That being said then, Rob, it sort of narrows the pool very much in terms of who, who might be next in line. Yeah, when I scan you know, the local football scene and trying to think who has got the experience and the, the clout to take on this role and have the respect of the dressing room come Marathi day, Marathi days if it's a semi-final, um, that pool is very, very, very small now. Um, and I have to conclude, really, I just think... You know, the fact is GFC are the strongest body of footballers in the island. They are all our, nearly all our top players are with them. It makes sense that somebody from within that group takes charge of the Marathi team. Um, I think it'd probably be different. I think you make a, a different case for the island games, which comes across every two years. And perhaps it's... Um, it's time for the GFA to, you know, look at the two roles separately, possibly. You know, that have somebody, particularly for the Marathi, which is somebody connected um, with the GSE boys, and and have somebody different, possibly for the Ireland Games, because the Ireland Games is always in the middle of the summer, so there'll be plenty of opportunity and scope for uh, a man who wants to. Um, 
be more representative of all Guernsey football um, to work with, uh, you know, with a group over several weeks, drill them the way he wants them to play and the way he sees, sees fit. And um, you never know, we might have a better side. That person might be able to get a, get more out of the best Guernsey players in an Ireland Games tournament than um, than we have at the moment with just you know just the Marathi. What we're hearing really that the the, the Marathi job is almost there as a sort of continuation of what's been played in the season, isn't it? It's you know in terms of um, formation and, and sort of patterns of play and whatnot. It would be a bit different if the you know the Marathi squad or Marathi team were able to get shall we say three four friendly fixtures over the course of the season, but we haven't seen that. You know it just hasn't happened. I mean. Te- um, Chris managed to get a couple of um, pretty ordinary friendlies going against the likes of the naval opposition, I seem to remember. And then a week or so before the Marathi, a game against Upton Park FC, which were, which was not very... Uh, they weren't very testing opposition, to be honest, on either occasion. We needed far more than that. Um, so I think really... And GFA didn't seem to have much appetite to finding opposition for the Marathi squad, preferring to leave it to GFC to do that for them. Um, I can fully understand their reasons, to be honest. I think, well, you know, GFC is is doing a very good job in producing a place um, for our best footballers to show themselves off. So why have, why complicate that? complicate matters by having a, and spend a lot of money and um, sending an island team to play other fixtures. It's all a bit messy to be honest Tony but it was always to be expected and um, it'd be interesting to see Jersey, Jersey how they cope with that now that they are in a situation with Jersey balls going quite well and um, having a different coach from their Marathi coach. Um, so Martin Cassidy might well have a few issues going forward. Well the Inks probably barely dry on uh, Chris Tardiff's resignation so uh, I don't suppose we'll hear too much uh, too quickly about a successor um, but all being well you know the Marathi will return this season and Guernsey will have a match up in Alderney to play in March so um, I suppose they won't want to leave it too too long. No no I wouldn't mind betting it with somebody um, like Stuart Moyles perhaps Ryan Zico Black Ross Allen post player coach no that's probably a bit too early for Ross but I think Stuart Moyles has um, got a a good reputation within the GFC group. Um, seems to, he did a good job previously at Valrec. Um, um, so he could possibly be the new man. Is there somebody involved in club football? Can't see it, I'm afraid. Can't see it at all. And sticking with the Marathi, Rob, um, some sad news uh, yeah, of an old um, Guernsey player passing away. Yeah, um, Mickey Cotter um, died last week, age 79. And Mickey... Cotter probably would be could be regarded as the first real right wing back in Guernsey football, um, along at certainly at the same time as Kevin Allen, who was sort of forging that role at St Martins. But Mickey Cotter played. Um, he, he was initially a winger with Rangers and then Centrals when Centrals were a useful side in the late sixties. Then switched to um, Vale Rec at the beginning early in seventies under Noel Jeffries, and when Vale Rec came to the fore and toppled St Martins as the leading side and went on their, their run of multiple titles. Mickey Cotter was a big part to play in that. He was the right back, absolute, very, very fit player, quick, up and down that right touchline, 
you know, help providing the bullets for a very good strike force. And on the other side, we had Malcolm Markle, who was a lovely left footer. So it was a great combination. And, you know, they were part of a, a very, very dynamic issue. Um, he didn't play many Marathis, just two. And in 1975, he, um, he's, you know, he, he finished his Marathi career with a, a winner's medal when we won 3-2 after extra time at Springfield. A memorable day. It was the day when Jerv Brazier um, said goodbye to Marathi football as well as captain. But um, sort of Mickey Picotta so was um, a very fine footballer, always looked after himself, and um, it was sad to see he gone. Yeah, well, our condolences, of course, to Mickey's family and friends. Um, yes, of course. Yeah, nice to nice to pay tribute to his contribution and a big one to, to local football. Um, well, let's finish this week's pod, though, with some exciting news um, uh, from a sort of infrastructure perspective down on the West Coast, the Indoor Sports Centre. Um, it's been through a few iterations. It started off as, as an indoor cricket centre, of course, um, with with uh, well, indoor cricket competition nets as well. Uh, more recently, the home of gymnastics um, and, and a indoor gym. and indoor nets and indoor well. nets. Quite, um, but another big change to um, to that building uh, in the offing um, because we've learned now uh, all the details of uh, the new indoor football centre as it's going to be. Um, yeah, really big project uh, down there, though one that's going to take shape pretty quickly by the sounds of it. Um, well, a little earlier on, Rob and I spoke to the man behind the project down there, what's going to be called the Aztec Soccer Arena. Rob Jones, who's uh, known well in local football circles, of course played for Guernsey um, before and um, has been uh, a player at Velrec and Saints as well. Um, yeah, he came in to tell us all about it. Okay, so I've been involved in local football playing, coaching for over over 30 years. Um, and I've, I've always, during the winter months as a coach, I've always been frustrated at the fact that there's so many games are off, the weather's terrible, pitches are waterlogged, etc. And I've always had this niggling thought at the back of my mind that wouldn't it be great to have an indoor football centre? Um, you had the boats Jour, you've got the gym, the, the sports hall and gyms from the schools, but nothing specific and nothing dedicated. Um, so over the last two or three years, I've been thinking about what could we do? Is there a site? Is there an available site? And we've looked around and scratched our heads and there really hasn't. Um, and then I just, uh, a chance meeting with, with John Ravenscroft, uh, who obviously had the, has had the cricket centre for a number of years. Um, would he be interested in, uh, originally John wasn't, but then suddenly he had a rethink and said, well, actually, yeah, that might be a good idea. So after about a year's worth of negotiations, we've um, we, we we settled on it and uh, managed to acquire it um, acquire it last week, um, with the vision of turning it into a state of the art indoor football five big five side pitch together with a technical zone with some really funky state of the art equipment that uh, that will buy in from the UK, um, and it's 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 a centre that's going to be for th- three year olds. You know, male, female, everybody's welcome. Three-year-olds up to up to eighty-year-olds. It's going to be, it's going to be available for for use for for everybody and for booking. And I want to see it vibrant. I want to see um, new life breathed into into the centre and to see great footfall. Um, so that that's that's the rationale for it. Um, and it's not an amusement arcade. It's 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 a serious training centre um, available for hire. But yeah, there's there's a serious element to it because again, I'm passionate about developing the the island's local football talent. Um, as I say, from year four, five, all, all the way through. Um, and the sort of equipment we're bringing in will definitely do that. That's really exciting. Um, uh, yeah, aside from the, the technical stuff, we'll come on to in a moment. Is there a role for, yeah, the kind of elite training? Is it somewhere that clubs are going to use in the winter to to work on their, their stuff? Uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, the GFC boys will be very keen to be down there. There's, there's a huge competitive element down there. And we'll talk about the technology a little bit later, but... 
Um, the way that you can compare yourself to yourself, it's all data-driven, and data is the key factor in this, in this technology. Um, you're competing against yourself, you're competing against your mates if you want to, your club, but more importantly, you're competing against people around the world, and people like Messi, Ronaldo, and all, of, all the pro players have all used this equipment. They've all, they've all got scores, they've all um, um, marked scores on, on this thing, so you're, lit- you're literally playing against the best players in the world, and other jurisdictions as well. That's incredibly exciting. What what kind of things are you testing there? What are we going to see Rob Batiste doing uh, when, it, when it opens? Well, I, I want to keep the powder a little bit dry and that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. But it's, essentially, there's a lot there's a lot of passing drills. It's all um, pressure pressure pad um, sensors with lights and with sequ- sequential. There's lots of different games for each piece of equipment. Um, but essentially, it's all it's all about the football, your technique, and your ability to improve. Did you say one five side court or? One five-a-side court, yeah. So where the old two cricket courts were down at the ICG, we're converting that into one into one big five-a-side. So really, really good space. We're going to put a state-of-the-art 3G pitch in there, um, some electronic goals, um, and bring it into really into the 21st century. Will it be sort of boards playing? Yeah, we'll 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 have boards on the side. So we'll have the um, we'll have the boards. So the five-a-side will be yeah, and 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 similarly, we can split the pitch into two. We can have two or three side pitches with with lines for the for the younger children to, to play. Yeah, and I say the the electronic scoring is is going to be really interesting as well. And when do you envisage it opening, Rob? All things being equal, hopefully for the beginning or middle of May next year, May twenty two. That's a quite a quick turnaround then potentially. Yeah, I was just say this has been in the pipeline for a while, so we've done a, quite a bit of due diligence on on providers, on on fit out for the centre for the, the the surfaces, the technology. So that's been that's been going on in the background for the last year or so. So. Now we've acquired it. It's a, it's a question of just ordering the stuff in and the delivery time, two to three months, and then the fit out and ready to go. And as you say, you're, you're a real football man. You've been involved in, in the yeah. game against for many years. Um, it, it's just something you hope can really yeah, raise the standard as well uh, you know, for, for future generations. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the important thing is that you know, with, a, with, a nice, with a nice pitch um, and, the, and you know, preschool, it's going to be a brilliant facility for preschool um, kids come along with their mums and hopefully we'll have some nice um, catering facilities down there so people can stay and get involved and it, it's, I want it to be a, a wow factor centre that people really want to go to and, and experience. Obviously in recent years as well we've seen a you know, big change at Sampier Park with the golf there and, and golf 19 um, that's, that's really kind of changed I suppose the image of, of that sport in some ways and brought a lot of new faces into it and kind of energised golf in the island. Uh, I guess football's in a, a slightly different place anyway but is that the sort of the sort of concept in a way that you're looking to bring to football? I, I, I think so. Um, you know, football is massively popular anyway. You know, you can see the, the couple of thousand people playing football every weekend. So it's in a different league from, from golf anyway. But this is, this, is take, this is bringing some state-of-the-art technology into the island to really enthuse. And I think, I think it really will set Guernsey apart because there's only two places in the UK that operate this sort of equipment at the moment. And we'll, we'll be the third. So... You know, it puts Guernsey on the, on the footballing map, and I think I think the local it'll create a lot of excitement in the in the in the local market. Um, last Saturday morning, Storm Arwen, there was no football in the island. This you know this centre would have been perfect for, um, for for mums and dads to take you know to take the children to, to go and have a kick around, or even themselves. Yeah, I can't wait to try it. Have you uh, <laughs> presumably you've tested some of this equipment? Um, I've not tested it, okay. but my my son my son um, Harry, who's a, who's a, you know reasonably well known locally, he 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 came over to to um, to pool and he tried the equipment. I couldn't get him off it. So he was on there for three hours and literally yeah. So he for me he was the benchmark market and he really absolutely he loved it. 
See, for, for now, he's got the game he scores. It could be yeah, I think it'd be Now I've seen Tony play, yeah. I think there's absolutely no problem there. The independent ante is no problem at all. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, it's incredibly exciting. And is it something that, um, that you think, when you've got such sort of new technology, it's not something we've been sort of missing for years and years because it probably didn't exist until now, but it's an opportunity to, to bring something really new, isn't it? It is. And, and the good thing about this equipment is it's constantly evolving. I think you, it's, it's all very well bringing new equipment in and... and then it tails off the interest, the novelty factor goes, but with this stuff, it is constantly rege- regeneration. The people who pr- manufacture it in Southampton uh, are innovators, they're, they're, venture, you know, they're venture people, and they, they are constantly developing new equipment. And we all, you know, we're, we're first through the door, so we're going to get this constant stream of, of new stuff coming through to keep it, keep it fresh and keep it young. When did you get to see, where did you get to see it, and how? They've actually, they're actually operating a very similar centre in, in Poole at the moment. Um, it's called the Footy Lab over there, and it's exactly the same principles. So, there's the tech equipment, there's a small pitch, um, in, indoor pitch. So we're, we're we're trying to emulate that, but also add a little bit more wow factor. I think your point, Tony, about 19, it's an ex- it's an experience. You know, people will go to 19 not just to play golf; they'll go there for the for the restaurant, for the for the food. It's got so many different assets uh, facets to it. Um, and it's got a lovely feel about it. We want to get, we don't want a sterile environment. We don't want a, a packing shed. We want a place where people feel really comfortable, all ages, um, all walks of life can go and, and feel part of it and go, do you know what? This is great. This is wow. We like spending time here. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it sounds incredibly exciting. Looking forward to testing it myself for sure. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming in and telling us about it. That's no, uh, an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll be, uh, yeah, we'll be following the progress very closely. Brilliant. Good luck with you, Rob. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you there. Rob Jones there speaking to me and Rob about the Aztec Soccer Arena. It sounds like a very exciting project down there, Rob. And we mentioned Golf 19, which, of course, has really revolutionised um, just the way that sport is, is seen, I think, locally. Um, as we said, football's in a different position, but it's got an opportunity to really make a difference. Um, of course. I, I really think this is a magnificent um, project in the making and could really transform Ireland football in many, many ways. Um, I could see the the logic in expanding on the tech side of um, football and sport. You know, we've seen it, as we said, at Golf 19. Um, there's there's plenty of opportunity to excite the youngsters and, and improve their skills through technology in football. But one thing that really excites me and the potential, I think, and because I've long thought that, you know, um, in future years, that the um, indoor football could possibly take off in terms of small-sided football. And I can see if, it's, if it turns out to be as slick and comfortable and well-organised arena for football, I can see it, you know, indoor leagues really taken off. And I mean, not sort of indoor leagues where you're grouped, um, you know, groups, groups of mates, you know, being cobbled together, possibly proper organised football where we have, say, the GFA, all the GFA clubs, you know, may well have an, in, you know, the Prio League sides might have a, a specific five-a-side league, same as, you know, reserves and under-18s and under-16s and 14s. I mean, it's going to be, it's a very decent size um five-side surface, 3G, you know, boards, what have you, be quick, good place to view. You can go down there and watch in comfort throughout the, throughout the year. I think it could be really take off into something special. Um, as I say, I wouldn't mind betting in a, in a relatively short time we have proper 
competitive, good quality five-a-side leagues and cups being played down there. Well, it's definitely something new for local football and um, yeah, I wish Rob all the best uh, with the project. Looking forward to seeing how it takes shape. Um, let's leave it there for now then, Rob. Uh, plenty packed into today's pod. We'll be back next week with another Guernsey Press football show. Uh, as ever, do give us a follow on social media at GSY Press Sport is the place to do it on Facebook, Instagram uh, and Twitter. And of course, do pick up a paper Monday to Saturday for all the very best local sports coverage. Cheers then, Rob. We'll see you next time. Cheers, Tony. Cheers, Tony.